Good evening, welcome to another edition of the Gelsnet podcast, the independent readers podcast by fans for fans where all the content is absolutely free. Coming to you in association with Forest Precision Engineering. I'm your host tonight, Brian Archon. As always, we'd encourage you to get onto the Gelsnet website and check out our forums for all your latest Rangers news and discussions. We're live tonight on the YouTube channel and we'd also ask that you continue to share the pod on social media, spread the word and please subscribe to the YouTube channel. Before I introduce my guests for tonight, I need to give another mention to our partners over at Forest Precision Engineering. They're a Glasgow-based engineering company who have been a big commercial supporter of Rangers for a number of years and we're delighted to have them supporting the pod. If you want more information about them, please visit their website at www.forestprecisioneng.com. They also have a stunning executive lounge in the Ibrox main stand. And for more information on that, email the club at hospitality at rangers.co.uk. Right, now to bring in my guests. Joining me tonight is firstly Stuart Rear. Stuart, how's things? Good evening. Yes, uh, Brian. I'm, I'm always intrigued or, or amused when I hear you're referring to the pod um, because I used to work with a colleague, the pod, the Prince of Darkness, Alan Davidson, and, and he would have been totally bemused by all this technology and the likes. A man who used to slap his computer screen regularly of a, a Monday morning or a Thursday afternoon when it wasn't working quick enough. So goodness knows what he would have made of all of this. Well, the wonders of modern technology. <laughs> also, also joining us tonight is Ian Duff. Ian, how you doing? Yeah, not too bad. I've been uh, grappling with technology as well tonight, so i uh, managed to get my head around it. That's what happens when you have the, the elder statesman of the cast on <laughs> I think I might beat you in that one <laughs> well, <laughs> well I think we both managed to get the technology working uh, obviously we're here to talk about um, yesterday's game a 3-1 win for Rangers over Dundee um, first thing I'll get your thoughts on is the team selection I was a bit surprised with um, Goldson coming out the manager said they'd give him a rest and so coming in, you know, coming to you first, were you a bit surprised on the start line? Um, no, um, I think Goldson, I think he's been overplayed over the last few seasons. I mean, he's just been getting played every week. And he never really got a break, so I think it's probably a good idea to, to give him a rest in games where we, we can and, and give some of the other guys a run out. Um, I'm, I'm still not convinced with Goldson, but he's probably is still our best uh, bet centre half so uh, so yeah so I think it, you know I think the way things are going with injuries is probably quite right to uh, not take any risks uh, with anyone else if we can avoid it Yeah it seemed like the manager just thought this was a good opportunity to give Goldson a bit of a rest as you say he does seem to play every other week and Stuart there was a bit of kind of um, question in the press conference post-match about the start of the game Clement seemed to think we started pretty well um, to be honest, I kind of agree with him. I thought in that first minute, I thought we started really well. So Fuentes had the shot that um, the Dundee goalkeeper saved. But then um, Dundee with their first attack, basically, Butland was forced into an excellent save. And we conceded a goal from the um, resulting corner. It was a really poor goal to lose. We never really dealt with the ball into the box at any point. Is it a concern for you that we don't seem to be starting games all that well? And that's a few occasions now where we've... Can the first goal? I think losing that first goal, I think the the thoughts of it's a good time to rest Goldson were suddenly questioned um, rather rather rapidly. Um, I thought the uh, 
lose, losing the goal actually might have done Rangers a favour because it meant that they actually had to chase the game and get back into it. I think if, if they made the... What's tended to happen over a number of seasons is Rangers make a bright start and then just tail off and the urgency level goes down. You just, you know, you go back to um, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst's time, you go back, you know, to Beal's time. Uh, they would play the horseshoe, play the ball around the park and, and you know, try and find an opening. If it was nil-nil, I think when they went one down, there was all of a sudden, it was like, we need to get back into this game because I don't think the Rangers team, even though they're unbeaten, um, currently under the under new management, I, I still don't think they trust themselves to uh, not to give other teams an opportunity. I think I, I think they, they really know that they have to be in a game right from the off. So I think it might have worked in Rangers' favour. And by the end of the half, you saw that they were actually, once he'd even equalised, again, there was no tailing off. They actually kept pressing and were comfortable in the game by half time, thankfully, because after the sending off, you know, it was anything could have happened in the second half. But I think the fact, you know, if it had been still one each at half time with a man down, I think they might have toiled. Yeah, Ian Stuart mentioned the equaliser there. Um, obviously, Dyson scores it with, for me, what was a terrific um, finish. And I'm wondering if, could this be the moment that that gives them the confidence to go on a run and um, kind of stake a claim? He's obviously going to play a, play a lot more minutes now with Danilo out. And the thing that I'm kind of wondering more about is the manner of that finish and the fact that it was such a good goal. It wasn't, you know, a deflection or one that just bounces off his backside and goes in. It was a real proper striker's goal. Does that maybe give him a bit more confidence to go on a bit of a run? Well, I hope so. Um, I think what sort of key thing of that goal was that he didn't really have enough lot of time to think about it, which is probably a good thing where, where he's concerned. I think when he's, you know, he's probably quite instinctive and he just he lashed at it, caught it really well and it sailed into the net. You never have time to think, like, where am I going to put this? Or, you know, what, what you know, have, have that just that extra time to doubt himself, perhaps. So he just hit it and it went in, and that, that, that was, uh, uh, you know, pretty straightforward. So, yeah, let's hope so, because, uh, I mean, he can be that bad a player you know he's not you know, there, there are the, you know there, there are signs there that he's a, a decent enough player and you know for whatever you think of, of whether he, you know he's worth the, the what we've paid for him to, to sign him but um you know there must be something there that it was enough to attract attention so you know he's strikers are you know playoff confidence don't they so uh, so hopefully that will give him uh, give him a bit of a boost um yeah, I mean, I think, I think, I think there's the seeds of a good player in there, and whether he would be the first choice or not is, uh, is you know, clearly, I don't think he would be, and I think we also need to look at strength in that position, and, and you know, come January if we can, but uh, but yeah, hopefully it'll give him over the next few weeks a, a bit of a boost because obviously it's a, a big uh, a big few weeks coming up. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see as you say over the next few weeks how that kind of plays out in. He's probably going to need to play um, a few more minutes with Danilo out, so hopefully that gives him the confidence to go on a bit of a run. Um, now, we were a wonder a penny with the 26 minute when a corner came in and Seamus' shirt appears to be pulled. 
Um, the refs asked to go and have a look at it, and on the VAR monitor arm decides it's a penalty now. The Dundee manager wasn't completely happy with this. He mentioned that in the, the press conference afterwards, he felt that basically the images that the the VAR show the referee are a bit deceiving, um, and he kind of felt that that's what makes him give the penalty. And he, doesn't, he mentions that he doesn't take the whole context into account, which I wasn't really sure what what point he was trying to get at there. Um, Stuart, what did you think of the incident? Did, does the Dundee manager have a point here, or was it for you? Was it a clear penalty? I think when you see the replay back, I, I, I am kind of bemused as to how um, the Dundee manager saw it in a particular way. I think I think you would say afterwards he would see it that way, wouldn't he? You know, if there's a penalty given against your defender for basically dangling off the front of a Rangers player's jersey, you know, it wasn't defying gravity at one point in time. It was actually being held up by Seema. Um, and the fact he was, to use an old-fashioned expression, dripping off his, um, the, his shirt, I thought it was a penalty, you know. And, and I think, you know, um, VAR, I am unconvinced by it. Um, and even yesterday getting that, you know, decision, I think, you, you know, I, I, the referee didn't see it at the time. The, the way that the football is governed now and, and who takes the decisions on the pitch, is more there's more off-field decisions made with somebody actually saying to the referee, um, you know, you should come and have a look at this. I think once you, you see the, the, you know, the rerun of it and they actually use the freeze frame at one point in time as well, I think the evidence is pretty damning. So if it was, um, if that had happened against your team, you'd have been screaming about your defender. Why do you need to grab his shirt? And I think ultimately, we've actually seen one or two penalties in, a, in different matches given now for shirt pulling. I think, I, I mean, personally, it's something that always annoyed the hell out of me in any any kind of sport with somebody grabbing hold of you because in it, you know, it's restricting you. I thought the, the BBC commentary was was rather um, funny about did that did that stop him from getting a clear jump? Well, if you've got somebody weighing twelve stone hanging off you, you know, not not too many guys can jump vertically with somebody twelve stone hanging on to them. So. In answer to that question, yeah, it was restrictive and therefore it was a penalty. Yeah. What I thought was quite interesting about that, though, about what the Dundee manager said, is that that's like two weeks in a row now they've had managers coming out and sort of implying that there's some sort of uh, dodgy stuff going on in some ways. You know, people seem to now. Because of the sort of narrative that's been allowed to, to go with us, uh, you know, uh, Rangers uh, getting all the decisions uh, talk. I've um, had that for years, obviously, but it seems to have picked up again quite strongly this season. Um, the the managers are now, uh, opposition teams are now sort of feeding into that as well. So it's uh, Robson last week sort of saying that, well, it doesn't look good for the game when the uh, Rangers are getting last minute penalties given to them. And, uh, and then this week, the Dundee manager is almost implying that. The VAR team are only showing images that sort of back up the claim the Rangers should get a penalty. So that, to me, is a bit of a concern in terms of the way, just in general for the game, but specifically for Rangers, because it's obviously Rangers that are being the, the brunt of this. But, you know, to start having this sort of almost 
conspiracy theory stuff starting to seep into the mainstream now and becoming part of what managers are using as their sort of justification because they know that time well that you know that people will pick up on that and that they'll uh, that will sort of disguise things or it'll, it'll help their case in the future when when uh, when the con- contentious decisions are coming up in the plane rangers. Imagine, imagine the cheek of it though, Ian, that the VAR team use images that actually shows why they made the decision. Well, it's the hard, like, exactly. You know what I mean? It's like it's like it's like turning up in court and 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 so, you know an offence having taken place and not bringing any evidence along with you. Just you know, just just by hearsay, you know, we'll suggest to you this is what happened. Of course, yeah, what, what happened. you don't see in that CCTV picture was just before uh, I smashed the window <laughs> and somebody lifted up my arm and pushed it uh, and made me throw that brick through the window. Right. Well, that's right, exactly. But uh, yeah, I'd. I'd, I'd uh, to me, it, the decision was one of these things that could have gone either way. In fact, in the past, it would never have been given at all. Uh, whether it should have been or not is another matter. But you know, that's where we are, and you know, the, you just have to. You know, managers have spent the last ten years complaining about decisions. Well, the last hundred years complaining about decisions, but specifically about what uh, technology brought in to make these decisions. And you know, fine well. Or you knew fine well, but as soon as they did that, you would just find something else to complain about. So, you know, to, to try and sort of justify their, uh, their, their own positions. Yeah, uh, Ian Stewart mentioned it about the kind of short pillar in the box and how that kind of um, has always been something that's um, annoyed him. Is this kind of era of VAR now defenders are going to have to sort of defend differently from, from corners? Like they, they're not going to get away with that anymore. They're going to need to just cut that out essentially because they now know that previously when they would have got away with it they're now not getting away with it so is yeah. that going to essentially make defenders have to defend differently in those situations? Yeah, yeah well obviously yeah I mean you know, that, that's what I was saying there that, you know, that this has been going for years and hasn't been getting picked up usually doesn't get uh, picked up or didn't get picked up by the referee and yeah they are going to have to change uh, how, how they approach it because you know Potentially, they're not going to get away with it anymore. There's been a few this season uh, where, where uh, penalties have been given for sharp pulling, and you know, well, uh, you know, and that's the, the rules are the rules. And you know, if you're going to get caught, then you have to uh, rethink how you you go about things. I mean, I mean, it, it's sharp pulling is one thing. I mean, over the years, you used to get guys being you know grappled to the ground, you know, arms round them and pulled to the ground, and you know. Th- Quite often they would never be given as penalties as well. So there's uh, a lot more, and it's, as it should be, I think. I think there should be more. You know, the defenders shouldn't be allowed to to do that because strikers always get pulled up for it. Whereas if they ever do it, defenders quite often get away with it. So I think that it levels up a bit. I'd also think. Sorry, sorry, Brian. I also think that 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 the fact that guys are being penalised for this now. It actually shows you how, um, how how poor the defending is. If you actually have to grab a shot as your first sort of reflex or, or defensive movement is to grab somebody's shot, it means you've not been doing your defensive job in the first place where you've either gone with a guy or you've you've blocked the, the, the runner. So I think what you're actually seeing is there's more... Um, shirt pulling because you've got so many defenders who are absolutely desperate to try and keep hold of it, literally keep hold of their man. So I think maybe the standard of the defending isn't up to scratch. Yeah. 
the one that always annoyed me is when you see defenders defending at a corner and they're grappling with the attacking player, not even looking at the ball, but they've got their arms all over the attacking player. That's the one that's kind of always annoyed me. So I think in this era of VAR, you're going to probably see a lot more um, penalties given for situations like that. Exhibit A, Exhibit A, Gary Stevens against Paul Elliott at Celtic Park and five successive corners. I don't even think... I don't even think Gary Stevens know the cl- whether the corners actually was take you know was actually taken at the time or subsequently he, he, he never he never looked at the ball or where the ball was coming from. All he did was basically eye up, um, you know, Paul Elliott and was like a almost like a linebacker that he was basically going to block his runner, stop him from getting anywhere near the ball, time and time again. So it's 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 been happening for a very long time. Yeah, I think it's something that Val's definitely shining a light on. Um, ten minutes before half time, um, Seema gets a third goal with a powerful header from direct to my corner. Stuart, were you as surprised as I was to see us scoring from a corner? Because it's not something we've been doing a lot of lately. Um, no surprised, in as much as I think the I think the potentials there. You know, I don't think historically uh, or in terms of um, you know history. Rangers are anywhere near as good as they once were. I mean, it was almost, um, at times, it was akin to um, a, a short corner at, at, uh, at hockey. You know, Rangers got a corner or a free kick anywhere near level with the, the penalty area. You go back to the days of free kicks being taken by, like, say, Tommy McLean or David Cooper and pinging it on at the head of uh, a, a striker, be it Derek Johnson or Ali McCoyster, or Mark Hately and the likes then you, there was a fair chance that Rangers would score. I think Rangers actually carry the potential of scoring goals and, and should actually carry more of a threat given given the height in the team um, and also the fact that I think in Seema you actually have a guy there who is a, a tremendous athlete. I think the goal and the amount of power he generated from that, one, it was a, it was a, a well-placed corner kick but the fact that it was well placed and he sort of had have an idea where it was going this time meant that he could actually generate a lot of power from not only the jump but also actually plant his head through the ball and it was a it was a, a really good uh, a really well worked and a really good goal so yeah I'm I, I'm surprised that they actually don't do it more often but I think that might be the, sometimes to the, the the quality of the actual set piece itself. Yeah, Ian on Seema himself now, he seems to have hit the goal trail again after a slight dip around a month ago. Do you hold out any hope of us being able to keep him beyond this season? Well, I, I guess it all depends on how uh, Brighton feel about him and whether they A, want him back, which you know, there's no sort of sign that that would be the case at this stage, and uh, B, whether there's any interest from anyone else, I suppose, if anyone else is looking at it and thinking he's doing quite well up there, we'll maybe uh, take a punt on him. If it's somebody in England, chances are we, we won't be able to afford it. So um, I, I think the last time I was on, we were talking about it in the same sort of way. I said, let's see how things are looking by sort of, you know, January transfer window and see how he's progressing there. You know, bright start might not necessarily mean that he'll, uh, he'll last out for the whole season, but, you know, he's, he's continuing to do well. So there's maybe something that has to be thought about and, you know, depending on who else would you know look at bringing in if there is any other alternative options at this stage? The other question is whether or not we would be off loading players as well. So I think a lot of that will 
uh, be, be a factor in what we can afford to, to pay for him. But, you know, the problem is the better he does, you know, the more demand there's going to be for him and the more difficult it's going to be for us to compete with that because, you know, we're, we're, you know we struggle to compete with the, the, the big guns for, for players. So, uh, in this day, I don't think things have really moved on in terms of whether or not we'll be able to get him or not. But, I mean, at this stage, it certainly looks like he would be a, a really useful addition to the, the squad on a permanent basis. I think the point that Ian makes there is a really good one because week on week, he's actually producing his own showreel. You know what I mean? And, yeah. and, and you know, people, other coaches and managers will be looking and seeing what he does. And it, the thing is, he scores goals against Scottish clubs. Yeah, okay. But he's also a guy who actually looks the part playing on a European context. Um, unfortunately, you might say in, in Rangers' case, because all that does is attract more attention because he's actually playing at a higher level and he plays in, a, in, in European competition. So therefore, people will see him um, against better opposition and therefore the goals that he does score or his contributions will matter more. And I think, you know, the kind of money that Brighton might be talking about um, is, is one that would be maybe scare Rangers off because what is a major transfer um, for Scottish clubs, any Scottish club, especially, you know, in Glasgow these days, is, is basically the money that championship clubs or others would find down the back of the couch or in their, their loose change from a Friday night out. Yeah, I, I seem to remember us having similar conversations last season about Malik Tillman and I do wonder if uh, we see a kind of similar result albeit with this one we don't have any option or any pre-agreed fee or anything to buy. So I think the other thing as well is the, the other thing as well is mentioning Tillman is, is whether or not the player actually wants to to come to Rangers permanently, you know, he he's saying all the right things right now, and you'd expect him to be to say that. But who knows if he gets his head turned by someone else, then there could be a more, as he would see it, more attractive options out there that he might want to go for. So there's lots of factors involved, really. I think this stage is probably still a little bit early to be uh, to be guessing how how it would pan out. That's a very good point that Ian makes there, actually. It's not as if these boys have suddenly been, have come from Wisher Juniors or something like that. You know what I mean? These guys, are, are, are their starting point is pretty high. In the case of Tillman, you're playing in the Bundesliga with, you know, arguably one of the most successful clubs in European uh, football. In, in terms of uh, Sima, he's, he's got a, a, a gig with a team that are, playing exceptionally well in England's top flight so the starting position for these guys was always higher than playing for Rangers so to speak so again I'll be interested to see what level of ambition that these guys have got because if it's, it's fine saying well oh, really I, I love playing in front of 50,000 um, and I, I love playing for Rangers and I love scoring goals and I love Glasgow and all the rest of it somebody comes in and says basically you know you're We'll, we'll add an extra hundred grand on to whatever you're making a month um, for, for going elsewhere. Suddenly, Glasgow and Ibrox and Ranger is a bit less uh, less attractive, perhaps. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out at the end of the season. Hopefully, um, I would be all in favour of keeping him. I think he's obviously done fantastic, and I think he's only going to get better. I think if we can find a way to agree a, a reasonable fee with Brighton. Then I think he's one of those that you could make a profit on in the future. Um, so I definitely hope he stays. Now, 
Just on the stroke of half time, um, it was probably one of the most controversial moments of the match when um, the ref was called over to bar again to review a challenge that Sufuentes made on Dundee player. Um, both players appear to be going for the ball. Sufuentes is late and he catches the player. And I'll be honest, I haven't seen it back a few times. I'm still not sure if I agree that it was a red card, but the referees obviously reviewed it and decided to award the red card, I think, having initially. Um, but Seamus decided that it's worthy of an upgrade to a red card. Um, as I say, I'm still not convinced, to be honest. Um, Stuart, what did you think of the, the decision? Uh, whether it was at Ibrox yesterday or, or in the general context of Scottish football, I think if there is a potential red card situation and the referee is called over at the screen, that is his get-out-of-jail card. He can then proceed and pull out a red card and send somebody off whether he actually thinks it's a red card or not because he's he's covering his backside because somebody else on high has thought it was worthy of a, a, a second look therefore he's probably thinking I may have missed something here and I'm quite enjoying this this job that I've got as a, a top referee therefore I'm going to deliver a red card because somebody else thinks it's a red card not just me so I uh, I, I see decisions being made now which um, are as much of the time as anything else. Whereas before, they would never have been looked at in a, you know, a dozen years, a hundred years. Somebody might have looked at them you know, twice or three times on a TV replay in a, a TV studio trying to make a, a, a story out of nothing. But it's, it's almost... These, it's almost like putting it down to these things happen in football these days. Sometimes you'll get away with it. Most times, I say, if the referee's summoned to the television, you don't get away with it. And I think everyone knew what was going to happen as soon as that you know, took place yesterday. Yeah, um, the thing for me, Ian, was that I don't really know like, I don't really know what why he's been called over for me, I think. If the referee's given a yellow card and he sticks with that, I don't think there's loads of people calling for that to be a red card after the fact. Um, I didn't think it was that being an obvious an error. What did you think? I mean, that's that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, we come back to that phrase being an obvious. I mean, the referee was pretty well positioned when you watched the you know the the footage of it. He was standing quite close to it. He had a fairly good angle on it as well, I think. So he must have seen it and judged that not to be red cards worthy uh, challenge at that point I didn't know he'd given him a yellow card uh, at the time because um, 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 well, the play sort of continues when he gave the red card he gives the signal as if he's cancelling out a yellow card right. so that's what made me think he'd actually booked him because when and, he goes back today I noticed that he gives the signal as if he's cancelling out a yellow card in, in which case you think well, well he saw it he thought it was serious enough to give a yellow card to in which case you would think he must have seen it quite well, then is that such a clear and obvious mistake? I mean, it's not like, you know, we're, you know nobody's looking at that, as you say, and thinking, my God, he nearly uh, snapped his leg into there. You know, it was a, it was a, I mean, you could, because he, he went in and his studs landed on his legs, quite often these days that is going to end up as a red card. And you can talk about intent and uh, malice and all the rest of it, but probably, that's not really a factor. You know, the, the factor is, is it is it reckless enough to, to, to give? And there's a debate to have by that, but the referee's had that debate in his head, presumably when he gave the yellow card. 
and he decided no, it wasn't. It was uh, it was one of a yellow card, and that's the rest of it. So we're getting back to this stage uh, where we're refereeing games twice, almost. You know, so the, the referee's making a decision, and then someone somewhere is saying, "Well, no, actually, I don't like your judgment on that one." It's not like he's missed the, the incident. They're saying we don't like your judgment on that. This is what we think should be the case. And I know they're not explicitly saying that. They're saying come and have another look at it. That's what's implied, isn't it? You know, so if he's been told to have another look at it nine times out of well, nine, ninety-nine times out of a hundred, then he's going to uh, go with uh, with the, the the decision that that the VAR is uh, sort of implying. So yeah, so I, that's that's my, my my take on it. Is that I just think well. Well, now at the stage where every decision now is being judged twice, you know, once by the referee on the pitch and then at the same time by uh, somebody watching on the screen. And I, I'm not sure that's really healthy for the game. Yeah. And the, ref- the referee, who's the, and you're right in everything you've said, the referee did have a, a, a really good look at it and, and was confident enough to give him a yellow card. Well, you know, what happened after that is you've got somebody else sitting watching the, the rerun and think to himself, actually, maybe, maybe I, I, I could, I could take us up a notch. And as soon as he does that, you're getting a red card. I mean, the, the, the whole thing about football now, decision making has been taking out the, the hands of the referee. Given the arguments, you know, going back 20, 30 years ago, the discussions and some of the arguments that players would have had with referees, and I would never have seen the light of day unless a referee told you what was said or the, the player told you what was said. That that's all gone now. You know, you could say one thing, think another, and somebody, you know, somebody in a box somewhere is basically saying, "No, you've got that, you've got that completely wrong." So in the lap of the gods, and you know, and, and I'm not sure what the percentage is, but I don't think that I think we're into point something of a percent. The chances are it being overturned, or the referee basically shaking his head, saying, "No, I'm, I'm not, I'm not listening to you in this one. I got it right." I think I think one thing to say is that when it comes to uh, Kevin Clancy, it's probably a good thing that the decisions have been taken out of his hands, really, generally speaking, because uh, when he makes the decisions, it's probably the wrong one. So, you know, maybe maybe this is a good thing. Sure, in terms of that re-referring of decisions, is one of the problems they've are that the slowing down of the images that they're showing the referee, and it just makes it look a lot worse than it actually is in real time. I've heard suggestions, I think it might have been Jamie Carragher that suggested when he was um, commenting on DPL that they should actually only show it in real time because when you slow any challenge down, it makes it look a lot worse than it is. And I thought yesterday was a perfect example of that, is that in real time it, it doesn't look that bad, but when you slow it down and you freeze frame it, it looks a lot worse than it actually is. Listen, it, it's, um, I, I refer to something like this, um, on Talksport and and Paul Ross gave me an entire history of how freeze frames and, and the slowing of action in the movies came about. And we're going back to the days of spaghetti westerns and Enter the Dragon and all the rest of it. It always looks, you know, terribly dramatic if you slow it down and ten times worse than it actually was. And uh, you know, I, I think I think the worst thing that you can actually come across is when the, the referee runs across to the screen. And the fact that you put a freeze frame up of somebody, somebody's leg buckling under them, and it looks as if you've you know, you've tried to amputate somebody's leg with a, a you know an Adidas size ten. When in effect, I think you know if if you ever slowed down somebody 
doing a pole vault or somebody doing a triple jump, you would, you know, you'd be rather squeamish at the images you saw on the television. And I think that's that's what's happening with football now. They're, they're picking out the best shot or the most dramatic shot. It's, um, I think I referred to it one night as uh, it's the, the equivalent of um, frame three one three from the Zapruta film, you know, in John F. Kennedy. If you want to get a, the most dramatic picture available, that's the one that you freeze it on. And and in football, you've got somebody who's picking out the best shot and basically trying to again they are turning up in court with the best possible evidence for you to change your decision or or for, for them to prove you wrong. So um, I am not a fan of VAR full stop and even less of a fan of people who pick out selective um, frames to make it look as dramatic or as, as brutal as possible. You know, what, what's the, the motivation for that, though? That's, that's what I don't understand because, you know, it's not in the interest, really, of the refereeing world to be questioning decisions that have been made by referees on the pitch, really. So why would they want it? I mean, I could understand why maybe the TV companies would, they want the drama, they want all the, the controversy, the debate and all the rest of it. So I can understand why they would be focusing on incidents like that and and, and picking the most uh, damning sort of space frame or, or, or replay or angle or whatever. I don't get where the VAR people are coming from on that front. Why would they want to do that? It baffles me that they would want to create a situation. They've got nothing to gain by it a player being sent off or, or whatever, you know, it's it's not, uh, you know, you could have as many conspiracy theories as you like, but generally speaking, I think they don't want that to be the situation. So why did they do that? It just to me, it's, it's baffling. It's, it's almost like they're sort of moving on to, and they're putting themselves in the position that the TV directors now and, and, and thinking what makes good, what makes good TV or what makes good picture? What are they going to be debating at halftime and real time? Sort of get in before they can uh, have that debate. So, so we're on ahead of the game or something. Like that I, I, I really don't know. I don't get it. Everything, everything you said there. I said to a former referee um, about no more than two weeks ago, and his reply was justification. They're basically justifying their positions. So if if they sit there and they don't see anything, and somebody um, questions it. They might not get invited back the following week, and given the fact that this is a sizable part of their income, they 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 want to make it look as if they're doing a job. So it's in effect, it's justification. They want to justify their role, and therefore the 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 evidence that they produce or the footage that they produce has to back up what they're thinking at any particular moment in time. The re- referees, former referees, are appalled by it. Absolutely. Appalled by it because is uh, I, I wouldn't mention who who it was or mention any names, but they said you could actually tell by how how brutal a tackle had been on somebody by the noise that they made when you know when when boot collect, uh, connected with bone sort of type thing, and they knew then that that was a a, a kind of brutal tackle, and you know. Or you could actually hear some you know, the, the thwack of leather in somebody's thigh, but it was just the, the, the fact that it was a slapping noise and they would go on with it. Whereas I think now it's like even if the referee sees that, he's thinking that somebody else has got a better view of it. So it's it's all about justifying their position and making sure they get invited back in a week's time to do the same thing all over again. Just the last word on that as well. I, you know, I, I don't talking about noises. I, mean, I don't know if I didn't get anything, but 
I don't think the uh, Dundee player did uh, Sequentius any favours either where he's rolling around in the ground as if he was in, uh, in mortal danger of uh, having his leg taken off. You know, it's, you know, I don't think there was much in the way of contact and I certainly don't think it justified him to be rolling around the way he did. But I mean, I suppose that's the way, the way it goes now. If somebody gets you properly, you don't have the, the compulsion. Don't move, exactly. You don't move. <laughs> you're, 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 as you used to say, you're stickied. I can't remember soon as connecting with too many people. No, who rolled. Not, not many rolled around. <laughs> Probably did a, a, a double, a, a reverse, you know, somersault with Pike, but they, they certainly didn't roll around once they hit the turf. Now, Ian, as things stand, um, with a red card, Ian Hill to point as a week suspended for next weekend the Rangers obviously have the option of potentially appealing it which Lamont said they would assess and decide on in the coming days so I guess we'll wait to hear more on that but as things stand he's, he'll be suspended for the um, League Cup final now looking slightly ahead to that one that really leaves us threadbare um, in midfield options doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that, that's what I was saying about, uh, earlier about the injury situation. Um, I mean, I think, you know, midfield is one of the areas where we're, where we're well, I suppose everywhere we're, we're struggling a little bit with injuries, but uh, midfield certainly seems to be uh, the, the area that we're, we're, we're hit by most. So we've got Lawrence out and we've got uh, uh, Jack out, obviously, as well. I don't think either of them are likely to be back soon. So, yeah, I don't really know what the, the options are. I, I don't know if... Uh, Leon King's maybe an option to, to play in midfield. I don't know. I've heard him uh, playing there before. Sterling again. I mean, uh, see, he played okay the, uh, yesterday when he when he came on. And one uh, mad rush of blood to the head where, uh, where he uh, lunged in at the edge of the penalty area and, and then had a really good shot near the end of the game that hit the post. So. So he's a sort of mixed game, I guess. But I mean, I, th- I suppose he, he could do a job in, in there as well. But yeah, it's 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 a struggle, you know. And that, that and I definitely think, you know, whether it'll be worth it, uh, there should be an appeal, like, just on the grounds that you know nothing ventured, nothing gained. But um, I, I think the chances of uh, that being overturned uh, in the week before a, a cup final is uh, is very very slim, to say the least. Yeah. And see it being overturned myself, to be honest. Um, now, in the second half, the manager made two changes at half time because Lyndon Sterling came on and Matondo and Cantwell went off. Um, manager said in the press conference that they were both tactical to sort of compensate for the fact that they were down to 10 men. Um, sure, in the second half, I actually thought we created the better chances. Um, as you said, um, Sterling had that shot off the post. I think Dessers went through one on one as well. A couple of other moments where we, we could have even added a fourth. Um, but the thing that kind of impressed me most, and I wonder what you thought, is did, did we see a bit of a different side to this team in the second half in terms of they seemed to just dig in and there was a lot of determination there to, to limit on these opportunities, even although we were down to 10 men? I, I think it's a part of the same kind of a factor I mentioned earlier on when they went a goal behind and, you know, they couldn't. We make pretty shapes and um, try and get, you know, get the first goal and then hang on. They actually had to get themselves into the game. And I think when they, they went down to 10 men, I think there was a realisation that they would, you know, there would need to be a bit of unity in the performance. And, you know, rather than sitting back and thinking, well, I don't want to 
you know, pick up any strains or injuries or that because there are a couple of important games coming up. I think they did get stuck in and hence the reason why in doing that and putting that extra bit of effort and they actually looked as if they almost did create another couple of chances, another couple of goals. So I I think it was a case of, um, you know, we're a man short, we need to show a bit of gumption here and and they duly did. So I think that's why the performance level um, went up. I also think Dundee watching the the, the, the entire game um, back again, I think there was an element of Dundee thinking that Rangers are down to 10 men here. We've got them. You know, I think it was almost like psychologically they thought that they they had a uh, they, they had a numerical advantage, but I think they thought there was an advantage as well just by Rangers can do ten men, and that this Rangers side is a bit soft, um, and I didn't I, I didn't you know I didn't see that I thought that, that Rangers galvanised and Rangers um, pulled together and get the job done. Hence the reason why they actually create not not just. They weren't just hanging on. They actually created a few chances as well. So all in all, I think the second half performance is one that the manager will be pretty pleased with, if only because the substitutions that he made actually worked. Yeah, now, Ian, we'll quickly touch on um, the result earlier in the day and uh, you're sure obviously a positive result for ourselves. For you, does that really put us right back in this, this title race? Well, yeah, I mean... I think at one point, I think we, we, we all felt that this was probably beyond us uh, this season, but um, we've, we've already had one, I wouldn't say blown up one opportunity, but uh, Celtic slipping up last week, uh, certainly uh, we were taking advantage of that and didn't take advantage of it. Um, luckily, it was the other way around this time. We'd already taken advantage of it before they slipped up, so that made things a lot easier, but... Um, I mean, we're effectively, in theory, two points behind because of a game in hand. You, you hope uh, we'd be able to win that game in hand, and then that's so that's the next old firm game. We win that game, we go top. I mean, or we go ahead of them. So you know, we're basically within one game uh, of or one win of uh, of, of so, Yeah, clearly we're we're back in the run for the, the, the title here. Um, I mean, it's. In some ways, quite surprising. I think if we'd left it any longer under the, the old regime, I think it would have uh, it would have gone beyond us because I don't think we'd have put them together like we've had in the last uh, couple of months. Uh, we're, we're basically we're undefeated uh, under the new manager, so I, I don't think that would have been the case. So I think you know, for, for once, the, the, the board was uh, uh, deserves some some credit for acting relatively decisively and, and, and making a change when they did. Um, so I think everybody was saying at the time we need to act now, otherwise it's going to be too late. So yeah, so that's that's uh, proven to be the case, and we're, we're now easily within striking distance. And we have to win that game in hand, obviously. So we'll uh, we'll see how that pans out. But yeah, uh, it's, it's it's looking more promising than it was uh, two months ago. Let's say that. Yeah, it definitely looks a lot more promising now than it did uh, a few months ago. Now, in Massive week ahead for Rangers. We've got obviously massive tie on Thursday away to Betis. We need to get some sort of result to ensure qualification into the next round of the Europa League and then follow that up with the small matter of a League Cup final on Saturday. Stuart, is this a potentially season defining week? 
Um, in, in some respects, yeah. But actually, uh, it, it, it is, I would say, maybe a defining week, if only for the cup final. You know, I think putting the, the European title one side, great if you get through, absolutely. But I think it, it's one of these ones where there could be uh, a, a win or a, a decent result in one of these two ties and ultimately disappointment if you don't actually complete the entire package. So, yeah, it's a it's a, it's a big week. Um, Midweek, you're, you're looking for a, a certain standard or a certain level of performance in in Europe. Um, the, the, the factor that both two guys have mentioned earlier on there is just what can a team or what can a squad of players you'll have for the European tie and then if you'll still have the same squad of players for a mid uh, or, a, or a, a weekend game you know it's there, there's a there's demands at any time of the season but this week if you're down to the boards um, currently and you've got two, two games ahead what do you do? You have to put your best team out both sides because you definitely need to win both of these matches. But it's it's trying to get a, a result in Europe with a, you know having a mind on what you're doing at the weekend as well. So uh, I, I think this is going to be a, a, a massive test and therefore, yeah, a pivotal week on, on a couple of fronts. Yeah, I, I, I think it's... Sorry, I, I think it's an important week. I don't think it's necessarily season-defining, um, but I think if if we get a, a decent enough result in Spain, as long as I, I mean I'm not really too fussed one way or the other, but you know if, if we get a decent enough result, then that's great. But the, the key thing, as sure says, is is the, the the cup final because winning a trophy at this stage would be a massive thing for the rest of the season. I think you know if, if we go there and lose that final. You know, I think that's going to have quite a detrimental effect on on the, the squad and the, the general sort of atmosphere around the the club. So the the opposite is true as well. So if we go out and, and, and win uh, on uh, on Sunday, then you know that could really set us up for the rest of the season and give that extra impetus to to go into the sort of Christmas period and, and really uh, uh, step up a bit. So yeah, it's, it's a really important week. Um, at the end of the, the at the end of the day, what's going to define the season is how we do in the league, I think. And that's going to be the most important thing, but I think this could, uh, could certainly be a contributory factor to that. In terms of the game on Thursday, does that safety net of dropping into the Conference League, does that kind of remove some of that, I guess, anxiety around that game for, for well, Rangers? That's kind, of what I was, that's kind of what I was getting at there. I, mean, I, don't, I don't like to say, well, I don't mind if we lose and we go through, because that's kind of bit of a negative way to look at it, but that is the case. I mean, and to be perfectly honest, dropping in the Conference League, you can argue all the time about the quality of that, but it's it's a, you know, when you look at the teams that are going to be in the Europa League next stage that we're potentially going to face, and then you look at the teams that we're potentially going to face in the Conference League, you know, we can easily have a, a good run in the Conference League maybe emulate what we did in the Europa League a couple of seasons ago. So, you know, in some ways you could argue, maybe in the same way as you could have argued last season that we'd have been better in the Europa League than we were in the Champions League. I suppose it comes down to money in some ways as well because there's a sliding scale of 
uh, how much cash is involved. But you know, I, I think that is a, a factor is that there is that fallback position. I think whatever whatever tournament you play in, you're playing clubs of a similar standard. If you if if you see what I mean, I think if you you know, if you slip down to the conference, you're not suddenly going to come up against Real Madrid or you're not suddenly going to come up against Manchester City. You're playing against teams who, who have either started off in that tournament or have slowly progressed down the way from a, a bigger tournament. So you, you, you are going to get presented with clubs and teams and ties that you can possibly win. So um, I'm with Ian and Tyler on that one. If, if they get through, great. Um, if they don't, you might have more of a chance in Europe. But, but ultimately, I think, um, you know, domestically, you're looking for a trophy. And, and historically, so many times, the League Cup has come to the rescue of, of Rangers during barren spells. You go back to the early 70s and Eric Johnson's goal against Celtic. And and what what the what Rangers then kicked on to do um, in the next you know couple of years similarly um, in 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 terms of um, in the in the eighties Rangers were regular runners of the um, the League Cup and it it was something that they almost kept possession of during that time when they weren't in that great in the league but you you, you don't really remember the league performances are finishing you know, third or fourth or fifth in the league because you were breaking it up by winning the League Cup, which everybody remembered, especially if it was against um, Celtic or Aberdeen or the likes. Stuart, in terms of the, the match on Thursday, now, it, Spain's obviously notoriously a difficult place for us to go to. We've not got the best track record in, against the Spanish teams. Obviously, we won the we won the home leg against Betis, but you know, we know they'll be a good outfit. I mean, we know Spanish teams are technically um, of a kind of high quality. The manager's obviously not got many options in terms of changes to the start of living, but how do you think he'll, he'll set the team up? Are you expecting many, if any, changes? I, 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 don't, think, I don't think he's got many players to select from. If he was going in there with a squad of 25, you might say, yeah, he'll, he'll, it's you no know, sort of horses for courses sort of type thing. He, he might go defensively simply because he's got more than one defensive midfielder. As it stands just now, he might have a centre half playing next to a defensive midfielder just to have two in midfield. You just you just don't know how he how he, he's going to position the side. Um he could go out there with a an attacking lineup and get absolutely hammered, which I, I don't think he'll do. I think he's quite pragmatic that way. But I think it's going to be down to what happens during the course of this week. You also don't know, even though we know the players that are missing through injury and who the long-term casualties are, we also don't know how difficult or, or what the outcome of the game was yesterday in terms of guys that are carrying niggles and carrying knocks. Be sure he ain't going to gamble with anybody on a Thursday if you're playing a cup final again on a Sunday. He ain't going to suddenly say, I, I think, I, you know, I, I need I need 60 minutes out of you um, in midweek uh, because we, we, we need a, a performance and you'll be you'll be okay for the weekend. You could play somebody for 60 minutes and not see them again for three months. The way the, 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 um, the injuries are going this season. So... 
Do I see any surprises? The only surprises I think that will be there is if he's having to play somebody either out of position or bring somebody in. And that might that might work to his advantage. He could bring somebody completely, you know, the, um, King's name was mentioned earlier on. If, if he's fit and available, he could come in and Thursday night and have an absolute world day. You know, somebody somebody that you don't expect, he could come up with some master plan of deciding that Tavernier is going to play in a, in a three in midfield, um, on the right side of the midfield, and it works, it works well. And all of a sudden you've got another maybe problem or you might have actually cured a, a couple of problems uh, for the cup final so I think it's down to numbers and and who is you know fit and available take one step forward because if you can do that that's you showing your fitness you may get a game yeah Ian, we'll finish one of the things that's impressed me about the new manager and Stuart mentioned the injuries there but when he spoke about the injuries and the, the press conferences that he's done he's clearly frustrated by it but he never looks to use it as an excuse and one of the lines they said post-game in one of the interviews um, yesterday was that he kind of said you know it's on me to come up with these solutions and I'm the, the one that's got to find the solutions to these problems so it's always impressed me that no matter how bad the injuries are getting he never seems to use it as an excuse I've had some managers I mean you know different managers have different approaches but I think some managers wouldn't say they necessarily enjoy having injury problems like that but they quite uh, look forward to the, the sort of the challenge of coming up with solutions to, to, to solve these kind of problems. So he's going to be one of these managers who can say, right, well, let's uh, let's come up with a, an idea. Let, let's look at their, their team cell, how they play. Maybe, you know, we have to think about how we're going to challenge that and bring in somebody a bit sort of uh, unexpected or, or whatever. And, and I think some managers who enjoy that kind of challenge, I think we'd much rather have these full point of players there and, and that, that's a, a different challenge of, uh, of deciding how to how to set your team up but but yeah I, I think you know he has impressed me actually I wasn't really sure if he, I didn't really know a lot about him beforehand but I, I kind of knew all of them but I wasn't really sure what kind of manager he was going to be or you know what he's like he, he's so far so good I mean he has come across as uh, as being quite a, a, a pragmatic as I good to describe it but he, you know he's he seems to have settled in quite well, seems to have understand, understood what is required at Rangers and, and that's been a, a downfall of uh, quite a few of the, his predecessors is that they don't really understand that winning is everything, you know, and that, that is what it's all about and, and you know, that he seems to have grasped that quite quickly. And the fact that it looks like a Rangers manager and no used car salesman, that puts him quite... Uh, that's, that, 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 that puts a big tick in the box for... for uh, for me, but no, I, I think his point is, you know, hugely valid there. The fact that he's actually the guy, I think, given his past experiences, it's not like he's been a reserve team coach here or a number two here. And he's actually had to do it previously at different clubs. So knows what it's about to actually win. And I think he's got that kind of mentality that's actually starting, he's starting to get that message through to the players that, you know, it's all about the winning. It's not about how many passes you can make, how many what your possession starts are and all the rest of it. It's get, getting the ball into the back of the net. And, and if anything, get back um, and sort of rewind a wee bit here. The first goal that Rangers scored yesterday, it was like, bang, there's a the ball in the box, do something with that. 
and that was something that you, you just know you would not have seen a matter of months ago when, when Bill was a manager. Yeah, he's, he's definitely a born winner. I think that's a fair to say about the new manager. Right, I think we'll call it time there. All that's left for me to do is thank my guests. Ian, thanks for joining. No, pleasure. Enjoyed it as usual. Stuart, thanks as always. Well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad to get through it uninjured. And we're all glad as well. As well as being live tonight, the show will be available on all podcasting platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Acast, Stitcher. And we'd ask that you leave us a rating on your preferred podcasting app. Um, we'll be back on Friday evening to look back on Thursday's match and look ahead to the cup final. Until next time, bye for now.